Hello and welcome to another special edition of Soccer to the Max. This one is another one of our series that we'll be doing all the way into the World Cup. Know your teams, and this is our second one that we have done. Uh, the first one was on Iran, and yes, I made sure I said that correctly, <laughs> Iran, and I apologize to all of our kind people that actually took the time to comment and let us know. Um, I do apologize. I said the name of the country wrong, and I'm very sorry for that. And again, uh, just just so we can clear the air, Eric was asking a question. Um, I should have <laughs> said no very quickly that Iran is not an Arab country. You all are Persian, and we understand that, and I'm sorry. Completely uh, for... on me. That was my bad. <laughs> so um, out of the, that out of the way, today we are going to be covering our second team, uh, the first one that is out of the uh, CAF region, uh, one of the African teams, Ghana, perhaps one of the most uh, well-known, popular, one of the – they've won a lot um, throughout the years. And, uh, of course, it's a team that's – being from the United States, we know very well uh, from the past, which we are going to go over their history here um, again, which, you know, we remember many of those uh, games against the United States very dearly. And we'll go over that. We will go over um, their road to, to Qatar and how that looked and, and how that is being perceived. Uh, we'll talk about the coach who is currently an interim coach, but it is expected any moment uh, between now and the World Cup, which we're still six months away from, so a lot can change. And this is one of the times the coach that is now currently with Ghana, it's pretty much expected that at some point he will be named the permanent manager before we get to the World Cup. And this is one of the times we will probably run into this a lot before we get to the World Cup. Obviously, the closer we get, the more we're going to know uh, more of the players that are actually going to be there. And, of course, the closer we get, we'll know the teams and everything. But this is one of the teams that has a lot of changing that perhaps might go on, and we're going to talk about at the end uh, some players that have decided to make a switch already and may make a switch in the future, which would mean that we would uh, have players that we need to talk about. Now, that being said, we will be giving updates for these teams that we do know your teams on in a separate show. If there is like a lot of stuff to talk about that we will, you know, it's worth doing like 30 or 45 minutes on, we'll definitely do an update for all those teams that we had done up to that point. So don't worry if you're watching this, you know, a month later and it's your team, you know, whether you're a supporter of Ghana or one of the other teams that are going to be at the World Cup that we'll cover we will make sure to cover ourselves as much as we can in another a video or podcast. That being said, you can go check us out, whether you want to watch us on YouTube. I will say that we do have, you know, pictures and other things that are beneficial for you guys to watch on YouTube if you don't know some of these players. But of course, you can also listen to us on podcasts if that is what works for you. And we do appreciate everyone that has already subscribed because of the first Know your teams that we did. So that being said, let's go on and talk about the Ghana national football team, which, in fact, when they first started, they were still part of the uh, Commonwealth of England, and they were known as the Gold Coast until 1957 when they were given their uh, independence, and they're from then on were known as uh, the Ghana national soccer football team. Um, so Ghana has a lot of history 
course, Africa has it has two different confederation championships. And then, of course, they can also go uh, to the World Cup. The AFCON, which most people know at this point, is the official, the uh, CONCAT version of the Gold Cup, the Copa America, the Euros, whatever you want to uh, deem that in your vernacular, that is pretty much what that is. There is also the African Nations Championship, which is only for players that play in the leagues in for those countries. So, yes, those national teams are represented, but you're only if if you say play for the Orlando Pirates or another team that's in that league, then you can represent your country. If you play abroad, as many of these players do for Ghana, unfortunately you cannot represent Ghana in that championship. So, but that's actually a smart thing and I think actually more countries should adopt that Eric of like giving another avenue to have your league players be able to play in big national team competitions is is such a genius thing of wow this gets some competitive games that matter aside from just in their league i completely agree and the fact here in the united states we kind of see that strategy with different tournaments of our own most of the time when it comes to the nation's league we have our best players who are playing abroad in europe But a lot of times, especially in recent years, when it comes to the Gold Cup, we usually try to go for mostly an MLS-based squad unless we can get our top-tier European-based players available. So for countries to have that extra domestic avenue, especially when you can alternate it in years based on different qualifying, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, certainly. And the way that they have done this is, Recently, the AFCON has moved over to mm-hmm. the odd number of years, and so the Nations Championship takes place in the even number of years. Right now, they've actually will start seeing the AFCON be in the summer, which was they wanted that to be moved sooner than that, but um, due to other things that have happened, and including COVID, that was still taking place in the January, February kind of window. Right, um, which right now that's where the nation's uh, championship takes place in that January February window in the even years. Uh, that was also so that you didn't have Afcon and then oh the World Cup happens in the summer as well. Let's go into what their actual history is. Now the World Cup they actually didn't appear until 2006, and we'll get into what they have actually done at those World Cups in a little bit. Ghana has great representation at the African Cup of Nations. They have won it four times. 1963, 65, 1978, and 1982, and they've been runners-up several times as well, including 68 and 70. So they were extremely dominant during the 60s as far as in the African Cup of Nations. And they're perhaps the oldest national team in Africa also, if you include those years as being part of uh, the British Crown Colony, the Ghana national football team was established in 1920. So talk about being able to flourish as soon as you become your own country, they were able to do that and do that in style. Now, looking at the World Cup, <laughs> and this is where you know we will be talking about how this is uh, how we've personally seen Ghana grow throughout those World Cups because the U.S. had a, quite a bit of a robbery throughout three different World Cups with Ghana, and I'm just gonna go through this here starting with uh, the 2006 Ghana trip in the World Cup. So coming into it, 
I see this parallel a lot with actually the 2022 Ghana. The 2004 AFCON, they didn't qualify. 2006 AFCON, uh, they were third in their group and didn't qualify. They got, they stayed in the group stage. They actually qualified first out of the least competitive group with 21 points over DR Congo and South Africa to make the World Cup. And then they lost to Italy 2-0. It was deemed as the group of death at the time. Uh, then they won against the Czech Republic with uh, Asamoah Gyan, who had a tremendous tournament and put himself on the map here. And then Sully Montari, which, um, who also had a heck of a tournament, became a known player as well, wound up playing from Milan and Inter, uh, among other squads. And then, of course, the U.S. game that, that Dramon got the goal and Apia got the penalty. I wound up beating the U.S. They went into the run of 16 where they unfortunately lost uh, to Brazil. So that's their first trip in the World Cup, which that being said, your first trip in the World Cup and you actually make it through to the round of 16, that's an accomplishment right there. So going into 2010 with some of that core of players being years older and having more experience and then you're adding in even better players like an Andre Ayu, who's the captain of Ghana right now, or sort of a vice captain with Thomas Partey. He had a great role to play in this World Cup, but it was still very much about Asamoah Gyan as well. And he has a part to play, unfortunately, in the good things and bad things of what happens to Ghana in this 2010 World Cup. So <laughs> coming into it, they were actually unbeaten all of qualifying. And they were the first African team to qualify or to the 2010 World Cup by um, they were also runners up in the first African Nations Championship in 2009. So they had a lot going for them coming into this World Cup. So a lot more was expected out of Ghana in this 2010 World Cup. They beat Serbia 1-0 off a Asamoah Jean penalty. Then they drew with Australia again, thanks to an Asamoah Jean penalty. You see the, uh, you see the pattern here. Uh, they lost to Germany 1-0, and they went uh, through on goal difference to the round of 16, where they beat the United States again. And Mojan was actually able to score in the 93rd minute of extra time. That was the goal that stood and got them the win. And then, of course, in the quarterfinals, the most famous game that now lives in infamy when it comes to Uruguay and Ghana, and, of course, those two facing off in their group where this World Cup is such a tremendous uh, talk about, like going through that again, right? Seeing Luis Suarez put that hand up and block that shot and then have John miss the penalty, which would have put them through because that was it. Extra time was over. Last kick of the match. (laughs) Exactly. And then going out on penalties. So awfully unfortunate for Ghana. They should have been the first African team to make it to the semifinals. Without a doubt, they should have been, and they would have so totally earned it. But unfortunately, they didn't. That is particularly Ghana's best showing. Mm-hmm. And, and for something like that, even in that very match, you credit the resolve. They were still hungry and fighting for it. What did Gian do after missing that penalty in the 120th minute? Step up and took the first one of the shootout. Unfortunately, with the chaos that is the penalties, it didn't necessarily work out. But... At the same time, that is a, either way a very indelible memory in the history of the Black Stars. Yeah, certainly. I mean, to unfortunately, you hit three out of your four penalties, and the one that you miss is the, ends up being the most important 
uh, is sometimes that's how football works. It's a very sad what can happen. Uh, you think you're riding high and then it can crush you in one moment. But thankfully, Ghana continued with run of great form coming into these uh, World Cups. They were actually the African Nations Championship. They were runners-up losing to Livia on penalties. They placed fourth in both the 2012 and 2013 AFCON. 2013 AFCON is when they tried to actually start doing it in the odd number years. So they had to play it uh, one after the other so they can get it on the actual schedule. They were actually, um, they lost a third place game to Mali actually twice, fortunately. Uh, but still, to be able to make a showing and get fourth and your nation's competition is still tremendous. And you're going into a World Cup with a lot of momentum. This is where they beat Egypt over the two legs to qualify for the 2014 World Cup. And somehow history was not able to repeat itself three times for Ghana as they lost to the United States. They actually drew with Germany. They're the only team to not lose to Germany in that entire World Cup. And then they unfortunately uh, went out in the group stage uh, thanks to a 2-1 loss uh, to Portugal. And one of the goals that Portugal scored was actually an own goal. Um, that being said, Gian was, again, tremendous force in this one. He scored in two of the games and as well as uh, Andre Ayu as well scored in uh, two of the games. So, look, the history of Ghana World Cups is... Again, to start out going through the round of 16, at some point, you know, that generation maybe wasn't going to keep progressing through. But to have your big moment in 2010, unfortunately 2014, they didn't get through what was a very difficult group with the U.S., Germany, and Portugal. And they at least were able to carry that over into the 2015 AFCON. And they were runners-up. In that AFCON, they lost to Ivory Coast on penalties 9-8. Crazy, 9-8 on penalties. Then you go into 2017, AFCON, they're fourth. However, they did not qualify, much like the U.S., did not qualify for the World Cup in 2018. That is where they stood coming into this 2022 uh, World Cup. They had not made it. So they had finished uh, third in their group behind Egypt and Uganda, and Egypt went to that World Cup, as we remember. So that being said, Eric, you know, we're going into the 2022 World Cup. It very much looks like, you know, there's a, a rebuild mm-hmm. uh, going on with a change of the guard of players. Uh, you still have an Andre Ayu and Jordan Ayu as kind of your older leaders, but... You know, Asamoah awesome Jean is not there. Uh, you're having to basically restart. And they they tried to uh, bring back an old favorite in uh, Milan Rejevic to kind of jumpstart that. And for the most part, it kind of worked. Unfortunately, the what was really the 2022 AFCON, you saw the bottom kind of fell out a little bit. The 2019 AFCON, which was the first one to feature the 24 teams, they lost to Tunisia and on penalties, and then the 2022 AFCON, I guess, what you could really call it. They actually probably would have gone through. Unfortunately, Andre Ayu got sent off very early in the match, and they were down uh, 1-0 already. And then they actually went down 2-0, and it's tremendous that they were able to come back and tie it 2-2, but then the 84th minute, Carmeros put in a goal that was unfortunately the one that uh, – 
knock them out and they did not make it past the group stage. So coming into qualifying, that's where they were at. Uh, they did, you know, win their group. They barely though edged out South Africa. They were tied on points. They won by goal scored, even though they did beat South Africa one nil in their final game. And then the huge one, which was Nigeria, Thomas Partey scored the goal and they went on the away goals rule, which you see why so many competitions mm-hmm. now have decided to remove that. Um, because if you're in Nigeria, you kind of feel, man, that that hurts a little bit to lose on an away goals rule and not go, um, as we saw with Senegal and, and Egypt again, to go to extra time and go to penalties or something like that. To lose on an away goals is not necessarily like the way the way you want to lose. But either way, Ghana is, is, a, is in the World Cup. They made it into the World Cup. And that's what matters. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you qualify. It's what you do afterwards. And so when you look at that, qualifying everywhere around the world is tight. It's it's not ne- usually never a breeze unless you're certain teams and you kind of get lucky in a certain group. But just kind of looking at this, Eric, like before we had even really gone down the rabbit hole of researching and everything, what did you think when you when you saw this? I thought it was a little bit of a surprise because of – how down they've been really since that peak in 2010. You can kind of see, as you had mentioned, with their big generation fading, it's like, okay, they could have an outside chance, but you saw some of the other big, you know, African giants like Nigeria, and I'm thinking, all right, time for the Super Eagles to come right on back, go to the World Cup and see what they can do. But Ghana, in a little bit of a shock at the right time, I mean, you could say... With a little bit the unique quirks to African World Cup qualifying, where it's a bit more knockout heavy early and then at the end, if you can just get the right group in what is essentially the semifinal round, you could go ahead and make some noise. And that's where Ghana took their most advantage. Yeah, certainly. I think for the most part, they kind of, you know, we've seen this before though, right? We've Mm -hmm. seen... Uh, teams get shellacked because they made it through on the playoff. And what do they do? They go and make an impressive showing in the World Cup. So, again, it doesn't necessarily matter how you get there. It's what you do in that between time to prepare yourself. Uh, Do you get the best team that you possibly can? And it feels like that's really what Ghana is trying to do here. They are trying to capitalize on all of this. Kudos uh, to Ghana, quite honestly, of – of course. Understanding that and saying, okay, how do we improve that? And if you look at their preparation, which unfortunately for them, don't know how that's going to work. Madagascar is currently asking to see if they can have one of uh, their games that they're playing for the 2023 AFCON qualifiers moved because of their players are possibly not going to be ready. Uh, they might have like a day or two to have like, gotten into uh, where they're going to play the games. And for them, it's like almost unfair to those players to basically have gone to wherever they're playing with their club to then come in for the national team. So they're trying to get that move. So it's possible that first qualifying game, which would be their first, I guess, preparation game may not happen. They still have the game against Angola, which is, you know, the other team in their group, probably the most known team in their group. They're actually the only nation out of the three as, and the other one being the Central African Republic that's made the World Cup. They made it in 20, uh, 2006, and they obviously have appearances in the African Cup of Nations as well. So you would think that they're going to qualify 
out of that group, but we've, you know, let's, let's see what happens. So you have Angola that you know you're going to play, and then they're going to play in the Kirin Cup, which is uh, traditionally something that Japan has held since the 80s. At times, it's been a, a turned into a Challenge Cup, right, Eric, where mm-hmm. it just turns into a bunch of friendlies for Japan. But it's a weird kind of tournament, right? They they have, like, club teams that played it first, and then, and then they've turned it into a national team thing. So it's Japan, which I guess would be the representation. Of, it's good for Ghana because they kind of get a – Look at what you could possibly see with South Korea a little bit. Uh, Tunisia, which is another African team they're familiar with. And then you get uh, Chile. But obviously, Chile has to beat Tunisia in order for them to play Chile. Because it's uh, uh, basically whoever wins goes into the final. Whoever loses goes into the third place game. So still, it's it's a good preparation, I would say, to have friendlies that kind of matter a little bit. Yeah, you get sort of like a knockout style preparation as you mentioned with the format of the tournament and coming off of especially two lake series and with that very good levels of competition it'll be a great test to see not just where they are but what changes really need to be made from the end of qualifying in between ahead of november because doing a lot of the research it's shall we say interest uh certainly uh, but at least they're games that should be uh, competitive. And you can say, okay, we're, we're learning something from these teams. And two of them are World Cup teams. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a good thing as well. You know, you're getting that preparation for the World Cup. So that being said, I did mention that their current manager, Otto Otto, is technically has the intern tag on him right now. But he does have a pedigree of, He's a uh, German-born with Ghanaian parents, and he spent almost pretty much his entire playing career playing four different German teams for Hanover 96. He played uh, several years for Borussia Dortmund as well, as well as Hamburg. So, And he was also a head scout for Ghana during the 2014 World Cup and 15 AFCON. So, you know, he was a coach while Jurgen Klopp was there uh, for Dortmund. So, uh, he doesn't have this would be his first head coaching job, right? But he at least has uh, that good pedigree of being in Germany and learning from uh, great coaches and also getting to work with uh, great talent in Germany as well. And then getting mm-hmm. to bring that over to Ghana. And like I mentioned, he had a a pretty decent playing career for Hanover. He made 97 appearances, 20 goals. He won a Bundesliga for with Dortmund and won a UEFA Cup or runners up with the UEFA Cup uh, for Dortmund in 2001-2002. He had a pretty decent career to be able to bring that over and to get that respect from the Ghana players. And then, of course, he was an assistant starting in September, but his first – so he's been around during the group yeah. stage and during the failure in the AFCON, but his first as the manager was the Nigeria playoff tie. So he's kind of coming into this fresh – with these friendlies being like that first time he would be the head coach. Yeah, and with how they won and how they made it through that tie, it's actually good for having basically a baptism by fire because it's like, okay, what am I working with? What do I know that I can execute formation strategy, etc.? And now you can kind of go ahead and lay your pieces on top of that especially with 
potential for certain players to come in. There's been a lot swirling around how you have to do what areas you have to shore up. So in a way, it's a bit of a blessing. It's kind of crazy that, you know, you were thinking when you first see the team on paper, you go, okay, they have some really good, they have some pretty good talent, right? But, mm, you know, I still don't know if I'm too convinced that you're going to get through this group that you're in where you have, you know, three really formidable teams. And then when you put it all together with some of these uh, players that we'll talk about that have already chosen to forego playing for England and decide that they want to play for Ghana. And then some that, you know, may are playing in Spain that may decide at any moment, perhaps this <laughs> week or, or in this month that we, you know, they have remaining, they might also decide to play for Ghana. It will be almost an interesting thing if, Auto Auto ends winds up having like an embarrassment of riches all of a sudden where it's like, wait a minute, I've got <laughs> like five games, potentially only four, where I've got to figure out who the heck am I playing, right? I mean, you do you are going to have to rotate that squad because it's three games in a short amount of time at the World Cup, but still like to know, okay, do I count on the guys that got me here or will they got, you know, the team here? Or do I start going for that known talent and being like, well, do I put just the best talent on the pitch? And that's a hard decision. A very hard decision to make in such a short amount of time because it's it's just you would want these extra matches to see who everybody gels with, how they get together, what advantages that you can really take going into that first World Cup game. So this is an ultimately a very tough test for Otto. No way to learn exactly your medal than to say, all right, I've got to come up clutch at the World Cup. Let's just do it. <laughs> exactly. That's the, that's what he's got to do if he uh, either wants to remain in the job. And, you know, as I mentioned, Ghana are in Group H with Uruguay, Portugal, and South Korea. They're going to play Portugal first, then South Korea, and then at the end, that Icy matchup with Uruguay <laughs> and and if uh, certain Luis Suarez is still healthy, man, I wonder. I don't want to know what could happen to him in that game. So one of the most hated footballers in the entire nation of Ghana, and he'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. So let's actually start looking at some of the players that you know are more notable for the squad. I'm going to state this very bluntly. This is not meant to be a we're trying to guess their starting 11. We're just kind of giving you a here's kind of the notable players that you should get to know or perhaps find out more about or more maybe that you know about, but just kind of what they've been doing. Uh, maybe some kind of diamond in the rough players that maybe haven't played a lot, but by the time we get to the World Cup again, six months, you might see more of them. And then, of course, we're going to talk about all these kind of maybe guys at the end here so first the captain the guy with the most experience uh Andre Ayu who you know he played a 2010 World Cup played a 2022 World Cup has played in so many of the Afghans uh in the most recent one as well he scored the goal against Gabon uh he he scored numerous times in the uh, qualifiers for the World Cup as well uh so he is still putting up the numbers uh when it comes to scoring uh even though right now he's playing for outside and guitar and their season technically ended in march so he's kind of in a they're just waiting for that 
2022 season to begin, which will be running alongside the rest of the the seasons with the the rest of the players at that time. And to be fair to him, until we got all these uh, guys deciding they wanted all of a sudden play for the Black Stars, he was one of the forwards that you had to count on. Even at um, his age, he is someone that not only is going to – he can play up front, he can play in the midfield and uh, Mm -hmm. it passes out to uh, whoever is playing up front. He's didn't make a ton of appearances for outside, uh, but he made the most of it in his appearances, scored seven goals, uh, won the league with outside. That being said, outside is one of the, I mean, he, Xavi was the one that coached them most recently before he went to Barcelona. They were winning at a ridiculous pace at that point, but he also has experience of having played in the Premier League, played in West Ham, played for uh, Swansea City early in his career, played for Marseille and Lorient. So, uh, this is a guy that has tremendous experience at the club and World Cup level. The, the basically, right now, the most capped player, 103 appearances, very close to Asamoah Jean, and uh, their fifth best ever goal scorer, 23 goals. Like right now, Andre Ayu is still the man, even though he's perhaps one of the oldest players there. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, especially offensively, because. This is where I noticed that at times that Ghana was lacking a lot. That they were able to create some good chances, especially in that semifinal round. But it was almost as you got the idea, especially the later stages against Ethiopia, South Africa. It was like they were more reliant on set pieces and those long shots. And when it came right. to Ayu, he was really the guy. Great bend on those and was able to convert the penalty in particular that they got versus South Africa. So it's like he's, when you don't have too much around him, he's the guy that if you need something and need to scrape out that ugly sort of one nil or 1-1 draw, he can still give those moments to make it happen. Yeah, but I think none of that really uh, would matter too much if you didn't have the guy that makes Ghana work, the guy that is sort of the, I wouldn't say string puller, but he's the heart of Ghana. He's he's also the heart now of his team, Arsenal as well, Thomas Partey. Um, he'll be 29 when he's at the World Cup you know, hoping that things considering he's healthy when he gets there. But the tremendous thing about Partey as well is that not only is he a guy that, okay, he brings in, plays balls with the midfield. He will go forward. Mm -hmm. He can score. He has a deadly free kick that he's done it for Arsenal and for Ghana, scoring free kick goals. Um, He is someone that you can tell the difference when he's not there, not playing. Uh, for them, and not to mention, I mean, getting to play at Arsenal and and having that experience of playing in the EPL against all those that tremendous talent, also coming up in the Atletico Madrid youth team and playing all those seasons for Atletico Madrid as well. Um, yeah, he only came on a little bit in the UEFA Champions League final, but he's playing in a Champions League final. He's playing in the Europa League final. Mm-hmm. He won the Europa League with Atletico. So. This is a guy that's made 40 appearances for the Black Stars and already scored 13 goals. I mean, he was the Ghanaian Player of the Year for two of these seasons, 2018 and 2019. I mean, when you think of a guy aside, I think aside from Andre Ayu, 
first guy I'm thinking of is Thomas Partey. Exactly. I mean, and he's one of those with the signature long shot, not just deadly at a free kick, but we talk about important players. What more important can you get than scoring the goal in that second leg uh, in Nigeria to go ahead and get you your ticket to Cutter? I mean, really enough said. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, I mean, you also have Andre Ayu's uh, brother, Jordan Ayu, who plays for Crystal Palace. Uh, he's made over 60 appearances for, for them. And then I think also uh, what's important here, although he doesn't, you would say, score a tremendous amount of goals, like, oh, my gosh, you know, he is still important to their team. And you see it with Crystal Palace. I think he's he makes those runs that kind of make defenders have to think about him. And so you're, it'll take defenders away and allow for some of the other players to be the ones to score that goal or make that important pass. And then he, he'll also kind of get the, get in behind and then, you know, maybe perhaps be the one that makes that, that final pass as well. Once he's there, you kind of see him play on the wing more or in the, in the three, the four, three, three of Crystal Palace, he's one of the guys on the end in the attacking three. So he does, again, have a goal scoring potential. He could do that. Uh, we've seen him do that for Ghana. He's in what is the top 10 all time with 18 goals, and he has earned 77 casts for Ghana. So he's another guy that you can rely on him if need be. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, as we're going to talk about, he won't be uh, doing it all himself because he does have uh, younger strikers that now Auto Auto can can choose from. I, I, exactly, and with someone like when you're going up against really some of the major defenses you have, you need that extra little bit of talent because Ghana at times was a very very vulnerable. At Ethiopia, a little bit too high of a defensive line. Sometimes they're getting a little bit sloppy. And when you have a younger guy who can go ahead, go stay forward and get you those goals so you don't always have to go for a bunch of colossos to try to make the defense nervous, much easier to execute and build a better game plan. Yeah, certainly. Um, before we talk about, I guess, some of the, the younger players, let's go backwards a little bit. And this is a, their goalkeeper. Joe Wallacott, who right now plays for Swindon Town, he's hasn't played, he hasn't made a ton of appearances for Ghana, but he's made crucial appearances for Ghana. He's made in the in the qualifiers, um, in the AFCON. Uh, he has been a uh, kind of sharing time, and he he made some terrific saves in the Nigeria game to keep them in it, um, in, in both of them. So he kind of earned his way by playing. And again, he may not have this, as we've seen with some of the other players, he may not have this, oh, big club that he plays for or known club that he plays for. But as far as the goalkeeper that it seems like auto trust the most, it uh, seems to be Wolaka right now. Oh, yeah. You will very reliable hands, as you mentioned, against Nigeria. Very clutch saves. They were never really to the point, thankfully, to where they were getting blown out. And that, when you have your number one settled, major, major relief. 
Yeah, I mean, I do think we need to mention uh, Richard Afodi, who has been playing for the Orlando Pirates, and he has played uh, a few times as well for Ghana already, making uh, 19 appearances and, and playing in some of the big games as well. So some Ghanaians feel uh, they feel like Afodi should be the keeper. So s- similar to uh, what we experienced uh, you know, covering Iran, the difference between uh, Abed Sadeh, Bevrand, depending on who you talk to, is who you, who they want as the goalkeeper. So it is kind of good sometimes that you have these uh, warm-up games that you still get to play uh, to figure out and make those decisions. Right. That being said, they do also have who I think is their best defender, Daniel Amarte, uh, who plays for Leicester City and has played for Leicester City since 2016. And this year, he's actually made the most appearances for the club that he has in his entire career. So it helps him a lot that at 27, he's making the most of it right now in the Premier League playing for Leicester. And what I like about him a lot is that not only is he a set-piece threat you would expect from a defender, but he makes those decisions and he's not afraid to like run attackers off the ball. He uses that speed to get back as well. And he doesn't just go in there for the sliding challenge or whatever. He's actually good enough to go in and push guys off the ball and make those pinpoint challenges just by standing up on his feet. So uh, there's a lot of talk about whether Juku, who is his, like, I guess the preferred partner for him right now, it's kind of dicey on how certain guys feel about him. Should he be his partner going into the World Cup or not? Amarte is, without a doubt, their best defender, and he definitely is the guy you're going to count on at the back. And for a team at times, that was one of the main things they really needed to figure out because there were some moments you could just outright say kind of ugly. You saw that first game in South Africa, there was a little bit of miscommunication, you know, between center backs. And oh, especially when at times when you try to play that higher line, you definitely want your back four as a unit to really move up if either trying to initiate the counter, which they were very successful at, or even working with an offside trap as well. So that's one of those positions you definitely want to circle to see who really is going to be the guy. No, and certainly, I mean, they were really solid at the back uh, Mm. for the most part. I mean, you're only allowing in, what, one goal uh, in some of these games. You're not... Mm -hmm. It's not like you lit in a plethora of goals. We're talking about like one nils, one right, wins, right, things like that. Where um, even though yes, they're only winning most of the time one nils as well. It's still it, it shows a lot that your defense is good enough to cover you at all costs, and then with the help of the goalkeeper, uh, you're doing your job. And when you go into that World Cup, it's important to have that confidence of knowing okay, we can stop these guys. We can defend well allowing your team to be able to push forward and score the goals. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you're used to playing these sort of tight games where it's essentially first goal wins, if you can store that up first and foremost, the minute that you can get a point to strike, then you can sit back and let the rest of the match handle itself. Yeah, I would say the only thing that worried me a little bit, and obviously this happens in in World Cup qualifying, you know, some of these uh, games where – I feel like they maybe switched off. Uh, you know, you had the goal against South Africa that they lost, and it was like in the, what, 84th minute or something like that. 
Um, they had held on until that point. The the Ethiopia, which they probably shouldn't have given up that goal, and they do. They had Ethiopia go and get chances throughout that game, and and fortunately, like led in that goal, and then they weren't able to capitalize again to get more than a draw. But that's just things you you have to kind of look at and grow from, and say, okay, we have to make sure we don't make those mistakes. In the World Cup because that can, you know, one loss where you really felt it could be a win can change the whole dynamic of the tournament for you. Before we get into the maybes, there's a, f- a couple of other guys I really wanted to mention. Mohamed Kudus, I think, is somebody that, whether he winds up playing for Ajax or he winds up playing for Ajax too, watching him both at Ajax and Ghana, this is a guy that absolutely can be a threat from, I call him like a, Right at the edge of the box specialist. Yep. He is tremendous at, he loves to shoot from there. A lot of his goals are from there, but he's also really good at being able to create on his own and either, you know, make that, that lob pass over a defender to, to play in uh, your winger, your striker, or he can go on, you know, all the way up the wing and make that cross as well. He's just somebody that really caught my eye watching so many of these shortened games for Ghana's. Like he's somebody that stood out a lot. He hasn't, he's 22. He'll be 22 at the world cup. And he's, I think he's only going to get better with another like six months of time to play. Oh, absolutely. And especially in a league like the Eredivisie where Scoring is a little bit tougher to come by, but with a team like Ajax, and as you mentioned, look at this goal against Zimbabwe. Edge of the box, just pinpoint through the defense. Keeper couldn't get to it, lower 90. That's the kind of things you definitely want to see. Add that extra threat. Yeah, he also is pretty really good at making those like at the line kind of runs mm-hmm. where he's going lateral and then make the shot as well. Not all of those go in, obviously, but the fact that he has the gumption, the gall to go for that and isn't afraid. I think that says a lot um, about him. And one more player I think I definitely wanted to mention as well here. He hasn't played a lot because he's young. He plays at Rennes. He's 20 and he'll be 20 at the World Cup is uh, Kamal Dean Suleiman. This guy is just speed. He just runs through you. And it's somebody that, like, you're thinking about it. If you're if you're that Portugal defense, if you're that Uruguay defense, if South Korea, like, somebody that just can blow by me at a moment's notice if I turn my head, like, that's somebody that I'm worried about. I'm worried about him for sure. And and seeing what he's done at Rens, I mean, some of the the movements that he makes, like, quick move either from going down the line. And making the cross or just going straight through the middle and making a movement is, you know, just scaring the crap out of a defense. I mean, that's all you need sometimes. That can make that defense have to move towards you and you're able to make that pass to an open uh, offensive player. And and right there, that's a huge moment for your team. It can lead to a goal. Yeah, and not just the speed and blowing by to where that would open up opportunities in a long ball. When you've got established possession, he just sneaks around and had 
like a great near post move uh, in the first match, you know, at Zimbabwe. And it's like, all right, there's a little bit something extra that could be going on here. And he's really that guy. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, I think this is somebody watch out. Could he possibly make a move? Uh, in the summer, I think there's been talk about uh, Kudus as well, especially with uh, Ten Hag leaving. Will he make a move? So that's the thing with all these players as well. You still have a whole transfer window to go with what happens. Do we see some of these players move to a better club or a club where they get more uh, playing time as well? So let's get into this, I guess. The the ever-changing, ever-flowing, <laughs> possibly adding players to Ghana here. So two players that have played for England at the youth levels uh, under under 21s Colum Hudson Adoy who plays for Chelsea and Eddie Nketiah who plays for Arsenal and has been banging in the goals lately as we're recording this and has been playing because Lacazette either gets injured or he's just not been in in form and and Arteta's going with the hot hand right now to try to get into that fourth spot uh, and Nketiah for me has been I'm sitting here going watching him scoring these goals the way he plays. I'm going, what the hell? What has Arteta been doing all this time? Like, that dude is there, gold in your hands, and you're not using him, and he has every right to feel, you know what? Forget this. I'm not going with any kind of extension here. I'm going and trying to make me some money on a free transfer uh, in the summer, and he ever should be. And I think this is going to be a huge boon for Ghana. We're going to see him if we see him in these warm-up games or not. I, I think this is uh, somebody that can really change Ghana's fortunes. Absolutely. As you mentioned, a man who has always found the ball and is a nose for goal. And a lot of times, as you say, take the pressure a little bit off IU. Some of those up front, adding that extra scoring threat, and especially someone else, a little bit of depth on the wing, put yourself in better positions, centering passes, Close down those moments in the attacking third. Oh, that would that would just be I for the Black Stars if he's like, yeah, I'm gonna go do this. Use that as a shop window. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's just it's gonna really just bring another level to what gonna have and have that you know versatility. So I think this is just such a, a huge win for Ghana getting Ingetia who. Um, again, he's he's been scoring the goals this season where he's been able to play. He makes five appearances in the, the League Cup and scores five goals. He's already right. scored four goals in the little bit amount of time that he's played in the league this year. I just think that that's important to see, and we'll see how he plays for Ghana when that time comes. Cullum Hudson-Odoi is kind of sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a time where he was really preferred by Thomas Tuchel, and this season it just really hasn't been it for him. He's had a lot of competition for those places, and and it suffered. I mean, he's made 28 appearances, but it feels like you don't see him a whole lot. Only 15 of those are in the league, and with what? You're also behind Reese James. You you got Loftus-Sheik. You got... I mean, they have uh, so much talent there that it's hard to to get him a moment, but they wouldn't sell him either. So Bayern Munich, I think, came in for him at one point, and they wouldn't sell him. So that says a lot. Obviously, Tuchel likes him. But the other thing that 
isn't really helpful for Ghana is that he played in, I think, warm-up games before the Euros for England. So technically, even those weren't official games, so he doesn't. Uh, and also, I think you can play three games before you turn the age of 21 now. He counts into that. So because of that, he can't actually play until the World Cup, Eric. So right, because he's hit he that match on the button for yeah. three games. Exactly. So it's like how much if you could get him training yeah. with the squad, as you mentioned, getting him in there, but knowing he's going to be in a very similar situation like he already is with Chelsea, not going to have those minutes available to him. Yeah. How is that going to work for him necessarily mentally? If you can convince him, hey, you are well enough, we'll get you like that first match or that second match. That's a heavy, heavy act, all things considered. I mean, the thing I think that does help him is that Auto Ido is trying to go into this uh, three-back system mm-hmm. uh, is what it seems like. So that is ready-made for Adoy to be able to just kind of slot in, be a super sub and play in a position where he feels kind of natural, where he does uh, play right. a bit for Chelsea. So that could help him a lot there. So that being said, we talked about Enketia. We talked about uh, Adoy. You're not going to get to see him much. You're not going to get to see him in these games for Ghana, but you're still hoping that whether he makes a move or he plays more for uh, Chelsea in this season coming up, uh, you know, a lot of, stuff going on with that new ownership change. There are still some other players that are uh, could be very pivotal for Ghana if they also make the change. So the two Williams brothers, Anaki Williams and Nico Williams, that both play at Letty Bow, could still possibly make a change. They have a Ghanaian father, and it seems like indications are they may make that change. Um, it's almost like, we could be recording, and then in the next few days or a week from now, um, they make that change. What we still don't know is there's a lot of rumors about Tariq Lamti, who plays for Brighton, and then Mohamed Salisu, who plays for Southampton. Those two haven't made any kind of mention yet uh, about whether they're they're going to make that change. Uh, there's been talk about Salisu talking with the GFA himself, but... Those are kind of speculative. We don't know. Right. Um, the Williams seems to be a bit more concrete, but it's not a done deal yet. So I don't want to sit there and go into, you know, possibilities with those forums. But, it, hey, if it happens for Ghana, I mean, those are in positions where I think that that just gives them more depth and you need that when it comes to the World Cup because you never know what's going to happen in this six months time. So right now, based on what we know, what is your best case, worst case scenario for Ghana when it comes to getting out of Group H and beyond? The worst case scenario, and I hate to do this, I never see to do it with teams, but your worst case scenario is they end up with no. I mean, they they are still very vulnerable to a lot of key defensive errors, and if they go ahead with sort of that hero ball style. Instead of taking those extra few passes, getting more established possession, not saying that they could be blown out of the stadium, but it's to the point to where one mistake turns into a disadvantage. You're a goal down, and 
you get to a point to where Ghana isn't able to catch up. Best case scenario, I could see them getting a win, but with how strong this particular group is, I think even if they end up with three points, it's not going to be enough to get out of the knockout. Yeah, I I can see where you're going with that. And I think I definitely felt that before we got into looking at the team and really going into it. Right. I felt that just looking at the team on paper and saying, ah, okay, well, look at how they qualified. I think they have a really good – they have a chance of not making out of this group and then possibly not even getting any points as well. I think coaching is also going to be very important uh, when we look at this compared to all of the other three teams. Otto Otto is at a disadvantage here. He hasn't been around very long. Yes, he's been as an assistant coach, so he knows the players, but he doesn't have that experience. You know, he doesn't even have head coaching experience at the club level. It's always an assistant. Somebody's got to get their start somewhere. I'm not saying that it's not possible, right? But you look at what Portugal has to coach, even though necessarily we don't may not agree with the way he puts out the team, uh, even Diego Alonso for Uruguay, like these are coaches that have pedigree, right? And South Korea as well with just the talent they have and everything. It's not an easy group at all, but what I will say is if you look at each one of the teams that are in the group, right? Uruguay, that's a that's a rivalry game, that's a revenge game. That's that could be wind up being chippy. That could be another Portugal Netherlands, another Portugal Uruguay. Like, mm-hmm. could we see a bunch of crazy stuff happen and Ghana ends up getting a, a win that you don't expect? Portugal, you just never know what team you're gonna get. Honestly, are you going to get the team that has all these freaking talented players and they actually go out and play like a talented team and they go and and score two, three goals? You could get that. You could also get the the Portugal that tries to grind it out, try to use that, you know, stellar defense that they have, put everything on Ronaldo and maybe that backfires. on, And then Ghana gets a point, gets three points. And I, I could see it happen. And the Korea is kind of the one where you don't know how they're going to match up. And that's going to be very interesting. But just knowing what you have with those games, I think it's very possible Ghana could still, especially with, you know, let's say you get all this talent in. I think they definitely could get – they, they, they stand a chance, I think, more now that I've seen all this than when I looked at it previously. Um, it's difficult for me, though, I think. Uh, Uruguay almost always qualifies out of their group and in almost every World Cup. So by hook or by crook, you know, whatever way, they find a way. You know, for, they, you know the, the team has the history. Portugal also has history. But again, they're like Ronaldo's last hurrah, you would think. Is that going to play a factor? It's, it's going to be a tight one for sure. I see, as I said at the beginning, this screams 2006 to me again, where – Ghana's coming into the radar, and all it takes is one result that kind of goes their way, and they get that opening. And I mean, you're not wrong whatsoever, and that could come to any of these teams, any of them. I completely see that, but will one necessarily turn into two? 
Because even though you can come in under the radar, guess what? You're not going to be under the radar for long at a World Cup. Say right. they win that opening match. All right. Everybody else is really going to take them seriously. And how would they be able to replicate that? So I still say three points, maybe four. Maybe four. I'll give them that. But it's going to be tough to see whether this is enough concrete to get them through or not. This is another one of those groups of chaos, which you aptly mentioned anything could happen. I think it helps them a lot that Uruguay is at the end. Oh, yeah. Because you have the two matches beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also got the Uruguay-Portugal rematch as yep. well. What's going to happen there? Um, so what if that one's up 1-1, one, one, you mm-hmm. know, or something like that? And then maybe you go in and surprise South Korea. You get your win, right? Uh, Portugal, maybe you end up losing. Like, a, let, I'm not saying this is going to happen, folks. I'm not trying to do predictions, bro. Right? Right. I'm saying, well, let's like uh, Ghana, Portugal. Maybe you lose a 1 0 or something. You're going into that Uruguay game with perhaps all you need to do is get a point. That's possible. So I'm saying, we're, I think, best case scenario, Ghana gets. I mean, I think it's hard for me to think that they're definitely going to. I mean, we've seen them go against this class of class of competition in all three of the World Cups, and they can sometimes surprise the crap out of you. Not saying they can't. I think definitely you can see them get four points. I mean, if they get anything above that, I think they really overachieved here, considering the hey. competition. Absolutely, and you got to be excited. Especially because they have a, uh, a chance to meet Brazil again <laughs> in the round of 16. So uh, 2006 again uh, there for them. Yeah, and for fans of the Black Stars, believe me, be excited. You did great to be here, and who knows? History could indeed repeat itself, and then what? Exactly, and then what? So um, I think definitely you need to be excited for uh, who else could be part of the Ghanaian national team by the time we get to those warm-up games in a month from now? And then also just on the outlook of what will happen in the World Cup itself. Again, we still got six months. A lot can happen. So, But right now, I think Ghana have the possibility to put up an impressive showing. And, and with that, apologize we went a little bit longer than we mm-hmm. really wanted to with these. But uh, there was a lot to get out here, and especially – we were ready to go. We were ready to go with whatever we had. And then all of a sudden, here comes all this news about Enketia and Odoi are going to switch. And then two more players might switch. And then, oh, my gosh. And then it's like, okay, well, we have to talk about this. We can't just ignore it. So, But still, hopefully you enjoyed our thoughts on Ghana and what they may do and players to look at and everything else. That's another know your team's down. If you enjoyed what you heard or you watched, please go subscribe. Uh, There is more coming each week. I can't tell you a certain day because we don't have them. We're doing a lot of research here. We're kind of going by the day, how we feel. Mm -hmm. Do we feel ready? Do we think we have everything? And uh, the next thing we're going to do is Ecuador. We're going to be going into South America next. And Ecuador surprised a lot of people have a young team. Should be interesting one to go and look at everything and also some uh, to talk about. (laughs) So, yeah. So get ready. The next thing we're going to do is Ecuador. Go subscribe, Soccer to the Max. Go subscribe on the uh, YouTube channel that you're watching on right now. Please leave us a comment. Let us know how we thought we covered the Black Stars. Whether you're negative or positive, we do appreciate that. We try our best here. 
And if um, we messed up on something or, or you have some tidbits to give us about the team, let us know. Let us know. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter at, at uh, WTimShawn, at Squid Sportshead. And until then, guys, and we'll see you later. Peace.